Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Purple Row podcast for and by Rockies fans. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to, I guess, a new edition, new season of Affected by Altitude, our Purple Row podcast covering the Colorado Rockies. I am your host today, Skylar Timmons. Back with me once again is our good buddy, Evan Lang. Good to see you, Evan. Happy to be here. It's good times. Been a while. It has been a while. And you'll notice here that we don't have our good buddy, Mac Wilcox here. Uh, Mac's stepping away, but we'll get into that in a second here. Uh, but we're joined today in his place with our guest who's been with Purple Row uh, since Evan and I have been here. And this is my first time talking to him and vice versa and everything, but always a lot of good insights. We're joined internationally here with our buddy Mario Delgado. Uh, Mario, thank you for joining us and welcome to the show. Uh, thank God for having me. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. I, I, I actually just realized that. Like, that's actually the first time I talked to, to the one of y'all. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> And yeah, so, yeah. you know, like, you know, y'all can see, you know, the podcast roads and everything, you know, they go international to get guests, so. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> now, if you haven't seen Mario's articles over on Purple Row, uh, he's kind of our, our sabermetrics, uh, I guess, go-to expert now. He's, especially with pitching, he goes really in-depth with pitching, uh, a lot of good handle on all that stuff. Um, so we're, we're happy to have him here. Great contributions over on Purple Row. Uh, always go check him out over on the on the website and everything. Uh it's good stuff. We appreciate having you here, Mario. I appreciate y'all. But uh, we got a lot to talk about today. It's been a while. But first thing, Evan and I, we wanted to kind of give you an update here on on the state of the podcast. And uh, it just like if you recall back several months ago in the fall, you know, Vox Media SB Nation, you know, Purple Rose budget got cut a little bit um, and, and roles were getting changed around. And unfortunately, now another round uh, of kind of cuts and everything 
has affected the podcast realm uh, of SB Nation and Vox Media. Unfortunately, affected by altitude is going to be affected by that altitude. <laughs> uh, more or less, you know, at the end of February, quote unquote, we're not going to be funded by Vox Media and SB Nation. Unfortunately, that funding's getting cut. Uh, it's not much, but just the, I guess, the costs of you know the hosting platform, everything else, can't keep it up for you know, unfortunately, our podcast. But Evan, will this stop us? Absolutely not. Um, so since we got the announcement that Vox Media was no longer to going to be um, supporting a bunch of podcasts, um, we've sort of been working to try and figure out what our next step is going to be. And we definitely don't want the show to stop or anything like that. We're committed to um, keeping this podcast going. So we're going to be looking at additional publishing platforms, Um we're also going to be giving a shot at uploading the podcast in video format to the Purple Row YouTube channel. Uh, there's also going to be some adjustments into how things are hosted. Uh, as Skyler alluded to just a couple minutes ago, uh, our buddy Mac Wilcox is stepping away to focus on other projects. We might still see him every now and then, but he's not going to be a regular host Likely what our new format is going to be going forward is uh, myself or Skylar or both of us and then a rotation of uh, guest hosts, as it were, coming in every week, every couple of weeks. So that way we're getting fresh perspectives every week, um, but you're still going to have at least one of us hosting the show regularly. And there's going to be some additional bugs to work out and some things to figure out, but we are definitely committed to keeping this podcast rolling and making sure that we have the show ready to go, especially when spring training and the 2023 MLB season starts. Yeah. So, so no, we'll keep things going as best we can shake up th some things, hopefully get some more people on here. Like Evan said, no, get those elusive guests we've been dreaming for and everything, but for now we'll just keep on going, keep on rolling. Now, of course we'll get Mac back here. No, you can't keep him out of the ring for long. We'll have a, a giant wrestling fanfare for him to come out with a chair and bash me over the head or something. <laughs> yeah. Which now that's good television, my friends. <laughs> yeah. But so stay tuned. No, keep an eye out. We appreciate all your support uh, and, and keep this thing going because there's nothing better than people coming together to talk about the Rockies. Writing is one thing, but then having to be able to sit down here and have these discussions with each other. No, really means a lot. And it, it makes a difference because it's fun sharing those perspectives and just joking around and stuff. Because if you didn't know, the Rockies are a really weird franchise to cover and talk about. Yeah. So That's we'll an understatement. Yeah. Understatement yeah. of the century. Rockies, <laughs> weird. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, that's just the tip of the iceberg <laughs> and everything. But, but anyway... Let's go ahead and just jump into our show. We got a lot to talk about. It has been an off season as we're getting closer and closer to spring training, starting pitchers and catchers reporting. But here at the end of January, we just kind of want to touch base and really cover back on some things. And the first one, the one that's freshest in our minds, is the Hall of Fame voting results were released. Uh, were announced just earlier this week when we're recording. Yeah. Time is a flat circle. Yeesh. But 
Unfortunately, Todd Helton did not get in. It was only Scott Rowland that was elected by the writers uh, to go in along with uh, Braves legend Fred McGriff, the crime dog. So those two will be your class of 2023. But Todd Helton came, coming very, very close. Uh, guys here is finishing just about 11 or so votes shy of induction here in the 2023 voting cycle. And I guess I just want to throw it out here. We'll start here with Mario. Your first initial reactions when you heard the voting results. Um, I wasn't surprised. Uh, I expected, you know, like considering, you know, the introduction, you know, the induction of uh, Larry Walker, uh, you know, which I think was major, like a major uh, advancement, really, for just for the Rockies as a whole, you know, when it comes to national media and everything. But I thought that that basically meant that Helton was eventually going to get in. Now, we know the writers are silly. We know they like to make people wait for no reason. So I didn't expect him to make it this year. I, I, actually, I was actually very surprised that he got that close, but I was not surprised at all that he ended up not making it. I was actually, I was actually very happy for Scott Rowland. I thought he wasn't going to make it either. He was going to have to wait another year. And then you know, he'd have Beltray on the ballot, so he'd have you know, another third baseman to compete with. So, you know... Also, I'll say, you know, and, you know, then I'll keep moving, you know, or whatever. but now that he's gotten this close, it's basically just about a guarantee that he's going to get it next year. So just you know, mm-hmm. for people to keep that in mind, you may be frustrated this year, but it's going to happen because, you know, unless something crazy just happens, uh, he's not going to lose votes at this point. He's just going to keep gaining them. So, you know, frustrating, but, you know, both well for the future. Yeah, definitely. I know, Evan, I think you're a lot on that, that sentiment. <laughs> I think we're all in that sentiment that, you know, he's going to get in next year. But, you know, it, 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 we can't help but feel frustrated when we see some of the things that the voting results that were coming out, the, you know, the Hall of Fame tracker and everything, all the great work those guys do on Twitter. We can see kind of the, the inching forward, gaining votes. But then we see the blank ballots, the vote ballots that keep him off and the arguments of guys that come with that. And Evan, you were pretty fired up. You had a wonderful article about it on Purple Row for your for your rock pile. Uh, take us some, through some of those reactions. I was, and f- f- I'll, I'll preface, first of all, I think Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff are 100% deserving of their induction. Yes. If I were afforded a ballot, Rowland and McGriff would have been on it, 100%. McGriff getting in via the contemporary committee, shouldn't have had to be a thing. I think he should have been elected when he was first on the ballot. And Roland is one of the best third basemen of all time. You can't really argue that he belongs in the hall, but it's so frustrating to me, at least because I'm, I'm of the sentiment of if Todd Helton is good enough to get in next year, why is he not good enough to get in this year, especially when only one person was elected on the ballot and we've been having smaller and smaller ballots, I believe statistically it is so much harder to get into the hall of fame in this modern era than it was say like prior to 1960. Um, And you have people who leave Helton off of their ballots. You had um, on the last day of public voting, you had a bunch of writers from the New York Post all have their ballots drop, and a bunch of them left Todd Helton off. Uh, you had John Heyman not, uh, of the New York Post not vote for Helton. And then you had Bob Nightingale of USA Today leave Helton off of his ballot while being like, man, it's weird that Todd Helton get elected. And it's like, you didn't vote for him. 
<laughs> yeah. So and that was know. that was especially frustrating after Nightingale in his uh in his article defending his ballot was really sort of breathlessly defending his vote for Carlos Beltran, saying that it's unfair to not vote for Beltran because of um, his involvement in the Houston Astros cheating scandal and the 2017 World Series uh, victory that resulted of it, but then leaves Helton off of his ballot for things like uh, Coors Field. And we still see a lot of voters not vote for Helton holding against him where he played his home games, despite the fact that Helton was a really incredible hitter on the road as well. He hit very well on the road uh, to the point where I like to bring up Todd Helton's road OPS is better than is, uh, is the same as Scott Rowland's career OPS. Yes. And these are two guys who both serve to get in. You also hold things against him like, oh, he didn't hit enough home runs. But if he hit more home runs, then they he'd have that held against him because he played at Coors Field. Mm-hmm. And he gets the fact that he's a first baseman and that he was a really, really good defensive first baseman sort of ignored because he didn't play into the prototypical power hitting first baseman archetype. Mm-hmm. And so it's just really frustrating because you have this guy who Yes, he's gaining steam. Yes, he is very likely to be inducted next year, and he is incredibly deserving, and he just barely fell short this year. But you continue to see these things get held against him, and it's just so frustrating. And I think it has a lot to do with the issues of the the current Hall of Fame voting process. But if Todd Helton is good enough this year for 72.2% of the vote, and he's almost definitely going to get in next year. Then why wasn't he good enough this year for seventy five percent of the vote? You know, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And, and something that I, uh, two of the discourses that I kept seeing go around well, when they justify him with Larry Walker, the thing they always tag on. Well, we got to see him play at other places and see how good he was instead of just Coors Field. And so that that Coors Field factor it still takes a big thing. And thank goodness for advanced analytics and and metrics and everything that can help show how good Helton was overall as a player. You know, even you no, know, I appreciate Tom Verducci, who sometimes annoys me. But seeing him, I kept trying to to differentiate and you know come to terms with the home home road splits. But then I realized the math has already done it with OPS plus, mm-hmm. and I look at that, yeah. and he was really good, and so I voted for him finally, and so. You know, you're seeing some of those, you know, older, old school baseball writers get a little more indoctrinated with the stats and everything and seeing them change their votes. And so that's helpful. So, but you can't punish the player because he's played his entire career in Colorado. And that's something we can tag on here a little bit. But one other thing I want to mention is the dis. Well, looks like we lost Skyler there for just a minute. Hopefully, he'll pop back on here shortly. Maybe some connection issues, Our first something ballot. like that. Skyler, we lost you for just a minute. Oh, darn! Internet's unstable. But I was just saying that the sentiment that if you have to debate a Hall of Famer's candidacy, that he's not a Hall of Famer, is a very short-sighted and very ignorant way of approaching the voting process and approaching baseball. Cause that's really disrespectful 
to a lot of guys who are really good, but if you're holding them to this weird high standard like that, because by that reasoning, there shouldn't be any Hall of Famers unless you're 100% of the vote, which there's only been one guy in the history of baseball that's 100%. Not even the media's beloved Derek Jeter had 100% of the votes. Not even Jr. didn't have 100% of the votes. Yeah. Only Mariano Rivera. I mean, arguably the greatest closer of all time, Mariano Rivera, deserving of 100% of the vote. But, and another thing is, if we weren't able to debate these kinds of things, a whole bunch of us are out of a job. Mm -hmm. Like That's sort of the whole point of our existence is that we're here to talk and debate and discuss. And if you go, oh, well, they're not deserving of being in the Hall of Fame because you had to discuss it or debate it. Well, then what's the point of us? What's the point Mm -hmm. of of the baseball writers association of America. If it doesn't count because they had to discuss it when their whole job as a baseball writer is to discuss it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you got on that Mario? I mean, like, you know, like, first of all, here's, here's something I'll say, and I'm going to play devil's advocate just a little bit, just for the sake of the art. Now here's, here's what I'm say. I think Todd Helton is a hall of famer, but I will say that, I can buy someone saying that, you know, he's not the slam dunk that, say, a Ted Williams is. He's not the slam mm-hmm. dunk that a Frank Thomas is. But here's the thing. Throughout time, a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, mad times, the voters have basically used what you would call the injury clause or the projecting clause to put players in the Hall of Fame with resumes that are maybe not Hall of Fame caliber when you look at the accumulated stat. Prime example of that is someone like Kirby Puckett. Tired due to injury. Basically, something that was out of his control, didn't amass the numbers that you would typically expect from a Hall of Famer, but writers understood that he was on the path, that his rate stats were great, that he hit for high average, and they put him in anyway. Sandy Koufax, same thing. So when you look when you look at Helton and say, well, you know, he didn't hit enough home runs for first baseman. Yeah, and part of the reason for that was because he started having back issues. Mm-hmm. Now, oh, here's the thing: you can tell me, well, you know, availability is the best ability. Sure, but you can also project that, you know, a little bit with that. And then, of course, you know, what you say is kind of, you know, about OPS Plus doing that with him. I have a stat over here uh, from Twitter from, uh, you know, the Helton Hall of Fame account, uh, at TH17HOF. Great account to follow, by the way. Um, Basically, there are 15 players in Major League history with 400-plus batting runs, park adjusted, and 70-plus fielding runs saved. Those players are 12 Hall of Famers, Albert Pujols, who's going to be a first ballot, Barry mm-hmm. Bonds, was the best, who was the best position player in the history of the game, or one of the four best position players in the history of the game, and Todd Helton. And again, the batting runs are adjusted. So you can argue to me that maybe, you know, the total stats were not there, but when you take into account the bat, take into account park adjusting, take into account that by this point we should know better. I mean, come on, man. And it's mm-hmm. just silly because, you know, go back and you look at past ballots and you see – oh, like 5% of voters did not vote for, like, Ricky Henderson. And it's mm-hmm. like, how does someone look at the career <laughs> of Ricky Henderson and say, you know what? That right there is not a Hall of Fame baseball player. Who looks at that? It's like, basically, just dismiss, you know, the Writers Association, and you just say, right, you know, like, we know at this point, and we believe that common sense is going to eventually win out. And, you know, like I said before, I feel like, you know, Walker actually making it in, was huge rule for Helton because, in my opinion, you know, Walker was the better player, and you know he kind of 
destroys the myth. Of course, the edge you can get in. So, you know, yeah. But it's very, very frustrating, though. It's just real frustrating to see dumb arguments. Like, if you're going to make arguments against Helton, please make them, you know, considering the total counting stats or maybe, you know, no, he's a first baseman, I guess, and he didn't have, like, a super overwhelmingly long prime. But don't do the dumb stuff, please. Like, we should mm-hmm. know better by this. Yeah, because it's like if you want to say Todd Helton's not a first ballot Hall of Famer, yeah, you're right. I'll admit that 100%. Uh, first ballot Hall of Fame is one of those ones that's really reserved for the best of the best, of the best. But to say he's not a Hall of Famer at all, and to go in those things, so, oh, he didn't help run, he didn't hit many home runs. But you look at how he is one of the best double hitters of any first baseman ever, and an OBP god. It's like. He basically traded in being your stereo, your prototypical home run hitting first baseman for I'm going to get on base. I'm going to hit a ton of doubles. Yeah. And and the connotation of what's a first ballot Hall of Famer, you know, if that was the case, like we mentioned, there would be very few people in the Hall of Fame. I'm sure there's a ton of those writers that would applaud that to celebrate just a handful of the many, many wonderful, really good to great players in the history of the game of baseball. And also you got to define generations. The era Todd Helton played in. He's one of the best players of his generation. He's up there. No, along with a lot of these other players. And so you got to look at the context of what does he look like in his generation to compare to people he played against and played with. What does he look like to them? Yeah. I get, you know, at the end of the day, just got to not be silly and like like you know just for every writer who's voting like voting is have a privilege man like at the end of the day you also have these guys reputation you know on the line in a, in a way like at the end of the day that plaque is going to be right there and you had a say in that plaque so take a little bit of responsibility and at least take it seriously yeah if you vote and don't be silly like this voting is not about you it's about ball players. And, you know, you're basically doing a little bit, make the right decisions to make sure that they are regarded as they should be regarded. Yeah, the and- Hall of Fame in general is just way too strict, man. Like this, I don't know where this idea comes from, that it's easier than ever to get into it. People saying Roland was in the Hall of Fame is like, what? Well, and it's, we have so many of the the voters are are really unable to detach their own ego from their voting process i'm trying to remember the name of who it was one of the voters like a 93 year old former writer who intentionally submitted a blank ballot because he didn't like that younger voters were using all 10 of their spots on their ballots <laughs> that article is pretty funny <laughs> that is hating 101 right there i can't even be mad at that like that is that is the kind of thing that we have to deal with when it comes to the Hall of Fame voters. And I'm not saying that, you know, maybe the Baseball Art Association of America has, you know, no votes or anything like that. But at some point, I would love to see how the Hall of Fame is voted for reevaluated, because I think you should be also be polling former players, current players, coaches. Uh, yes. all, all sorts of different people. I think it should be casting a wider net and a wider range of opinions. Like, all right, well, let's talk to Mike Trout. Who does Mike Trout think is the greatest right fielder of all time? I'd like to hear that because he's got a unique perspective. Or 
this manager has the has a unique perspective. Everyone has different perspectives. And if we're going to let, you know, um, your ego and and things like that be part of the voting process, then I think you need to widen that voting process to include even more people and a more varied assortment of personality personalities and, and individual um individual counts of things <laughs> just just do it like a regular election and have hall of famers get up and debate each other <laughs> or at least have them get up have a representative that's debating for in favor of todd helton or something like that well it's like because i bet if you asked someone from todd helton's era that played against him he'd probably go yeah todd helton was one of the best first basemen i ever played against mm-hmm yeah, as the pitchers. Yeah, <laughs> as the pitchers, though. Ask ask, uh, um, ask Trevor Hoffman. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> ask Saito. <laughs> yeah, you know, just it, in general, like media, like media has, you know, like sorry to cut you off, like media has such a wide like impact on who actually gets in. Like if you think about it. Why is why would like as great a career as he had? Why is David Ortiz in the Hall of Fame first ballot? Why? Because he was a media darling. Exactly, and that's also a big reason. It's not just the steroids with Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds and baseball media very infamously did not get along. And I think that's another thing. It's like oh, the writers have this experience with Barry of they didn't really get along. And so, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. And you look at same thing with Jeff Kent, you know, one of the best hitting offensive second baseman in the history of the game falls off on his 10th ballot. Doesn't even reach about 50% or so one because they didn't, <laughs> he didn't get along with the media as well as a lot of guys. And so, also, uh, um, you know, there's the, the timing of everything I think has also, a lot to do with it. you know help you know for Helton this is actually kind of plays a part yeah because Helton actually spent you know a couple you know of the last years of his career you know having tons of back issues not really him for power you know he didn't really retire at his peak you know there are all the cases like that you look at someone like a Johan Santana was the best pitcher in the world and say for like a five-year span but then you know was injured a lot so basically you know you know didn't really contribute so between his you know the end of his prime and the actual time of retirement and the time he actually, you know, got on the ballot, it was a huge fan and people kind of got. So I think, you know, it's a shame really, because I bet like his thing, I bet had Helton retired after I say oh nine, because you know, he had debilitating back issues, you know, gets to get you no know, career ending uh, surgery and he's gone just like that. I feel like he actually might have had a better, a better shot, you know, at getting a high percentage earlier because you know, his greatness would have been considered kind of like being ripped away from him, not mm-hmm. really him losing it over time. So, yeah, it's just there's too many biases at the end of the day. You can, you know, look at the numbers, you can ask people, and you'll figure out who needs to be in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And, again, that's why they are able to debate, why they're able to be on the on the thing for 10 years. For 10 years, it, there's always conversations to be had. Opinions can change. No, you can't just judge a guy on his very first balance that, yeah, he's not a Hall of Famer. But we see Helton making those big gains, and like we've talked about, almost guaranteed he's going to be in next year, which that's exciting. Very exciting. 
Yeah, it would have been really nice for him to get in this year because it coincides with the 30th anniversary of the team. And, you know, even more than Larry Walker, Todd Helton is Mr. Rocky, the guy who played his entire career with the franchise. So that would have been a very cool way to celebrate the 30th anniversary of the organization. But the fact that he has made tremendous gains, like he went from like 29% to 50% to 72%. Yeah. Those are really, really good. And and yeah, some of it has to do with a lot of big names dropped off the ballot last year, but he still got to 50% with over 50% with a lot of those big names on the ballot. Mm-hmm. So we at the very least have that to look forward to next year of Todd Helton will be a Hall of Famer. It's only a matter of when. Mm-hmm. It's a good time to go. But in the meantime, you can always follow Ryan Spielworks on Twitter as well, who will continue to go scorched earth on people defending his former teammate and the Rockies in general. Uh, oh, against that some of the maddest I have ever seen Spilly get. Yeah, it, it, yeah pretty good, but yeah. good arguments. There's <laughs> If you look into the stats and everything, there's good arguments to be had. And no, we'll accept that. If people don't want to vote for him, at least give us a good reason more than Coors because there's a lot more conversations to be had there as well. But more or less, Todd Helton Hall of Fame 2024 in Cooperstown is what we're hoping for. The year All of the Todd Father. Indeed. And what more Rockies thing for him to be overshadowed by Adrian Beltre, <laughs> whoever else gets voted in. It's the most Rockies thing that could happen. <laughs> but no, well, it's it, like Walker. Just, Walker yeah. got overshadowed, overshadowed by Jeter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's probably going to be the tradition honestly. at this point. What was that, Mario? I think he might have preferred it. You know, just you know, listen to uh, you know his Hall of Fame speech and everything. I think he might have actually preferred kind of being, you know, like you know, like I, like I remember he mentioned like being the B side, Jeter's A side. Mm-hmm. I think he said that exact thing. So I think he might have preferred it. But you know, Helton's definitely going to be the quote unquote B side to Beltre. I think Beltran might actually get in next year too. They're going to make him, you know, do like the one year sentence for cheating, mm-hmm. and then they're going to put him in the ballot, which is totally mm-hmm. fine. Yeah, I mean, Beltran got almost 50% on his first year. Like, he's he's another one of those guys where it's only a matter of time. I just would have loved to see how would have Major League Baseball reacted if it had been Todd Helton instead of Scott Rowland. (laughs) They've been so confused. I don't think the world could have handled that. So you got to pair him with a, a superstar that people are more knowledgeable about. (laughs) but anyways hall of fame still flawed but man still what what a great institution and still continues need improvement but that's the fun part every off season watching the hall of fame stuff so we'll stay tuned hopefully we're here still going next year or some form of this do a live podcast from the induction ceremony that would be so cool it'll be the (laughs) coolest thing i ever did We'll send you up with a microphone to get an interview with Todd Helton while he's giving his speech. And you can get tackled by security. Okay. Uh-huh. I, I don't like I don't like where this is going now. <laughs> uh, that's gonna make the news. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's one that's good publicity there, Evan. Any his. It's certainly publicity. I don't know about good. <laughs> All publicity is good publicity. <laughs> 
But we're going to go ahead and take a quick break here. Uh, and when we come back, we're going to keep talking Rockies offseason. And they've been busy doing some stuff. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome back here on Purple, or I guess Affected by Altitude, the Purple Row podcast. Uh, it's been a while. I'm at a sink here, Evan. <laughs> but <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a couple months. We're a little rusty. It's been a while. We haven't had uh, spring training yet. Yeah, this is still our spring training, our little mini camp. But we'll just keep rolling on right along here, things. Uh, I'll give you guys a choice here. Should we jump into Rocky's offseason or our little detour into some owner comments that came from the weekend? <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, boy. So let's at least briefly discuss what Rocky's owner, Dick Monfort, spoke of this weekend because, unfortunately, it really did not shine a good light on the Rockies organization either way. Mm-hmm. Where What is it called? The Champions Breakfast or, or whatever it's called in, in Greeley. Yeah, it's like the uh, Friends yeah. of Baseball champ- Breakfast of Champions event in Greeley, Colorado. Uh, which, if you Dick- don't know that, Dick Monfort's hometown where Dick Monfort very uh, boldly proclaimed that he could see the Rockies having a 500 record, which a lot of people got up in arms about. Uh, On one hand, I appreciate that it's a little more realistic than him interpolating a 94-win season. Oh, that was bad. On the other hand, it probably would have been better had he just not said anything. And you can say that for a couple of his other comments this weekend. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. So it, you can find this as purple or not purple row at Denver post. Patrick Saunders had a good article about it, but everything started to hit the fan when our, our buddy Patrick Lyons over at DNVR posted the quote of Dick Monfort saying, I think we can play 500 baseball this year. Uh, and you can get a little bit more context about that from Patrick Saunders. More or less where Dick feels that they're a little bit more competitive. They'll be a little bit more competitive this year. And he could see them playing around 500 baseball, which if anything, I would have said, we can, I feel like we can play at least 500 baseball just so he can be his optimistic self. But the wording just seemed kind of off. And Twitter had a field, excuse me, had a field day about it. Uh, it's not a good look. When you come out and say, yeah, we think we could play 500 baseball. Especially with the 30th anniversary of the team coming up. It's like. <laughs> Boy, ain't that a good summary for what the franchise has mostly been, huh? Yeah, exactly. You know. but then he just, it just kept getting worse. The more quotes we got from him, mm-hmm. it was on, it was on the score and reported in other places about him complaining about how the Padres are spending too much money and it's unfair because it puts pressure on him to spend money, but also that he thinks that the Padres aren't necessarily a more complete or better baseball team than the Rockies, even though they've spent all that money, Um, Mm -hmm. which is, is not a good look to one acknowledge that the fans want you to be spending more and then to wheel around and complain about teams like the Padres and the Mets spending oh. too much money this offseason. 
And yeah. that made people even more frustrated. And then the the uh, one that I saw this morning was him going, well, really, we had four prospects in the top 100, but we could have had at least 15. <laughs> that Where... is... Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I say, like, yeah, like, that's the one thing. Dick Munford always does have a lot of confidence in what he's got. Uh, however misplaced that may be sometimes. To his credit, they... Farm system's much better. Now, having 15 in the top 100, I don't think about that, but... That's ludicrous. Yeah, that's ludicrous, but <laughs> the, I think the thing that, yeah, we, they have a lot better prospects than they have in a while. And I think, like, top four in the top 100 is good. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's really good, especially from how our farm system has been. But it also plays into the Rockies very bad habit of way overvaluing their prospects. I don't think any team ever has had 15 in the top 100. I don't think any team is at 10. I think the most I've seen is like six or seven, but it's one of those things where for, for the 500 record part, it was one of those you're damned. If you do, you're damned. If you don't, because if he had said, Oh, we're going to have a winning season he would have gotten crucified. And if he had mm-hmm. said, we're going to have a losing season, he would have gotten crucified. So we shot for the middle and said, I think we can play 500 ball. But <laughs> after a bunch of consecutive losing seasons, that's really also not what fans want to hear. And for all of this, it would have been, you know, maybe you should have just said nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> At this random breakfast of all things. <laughs> Wasn't that where he said that we were going to win 94 the other year, too? Probably. I think it was also this champion's breakfast. Who lets, Who keeps letting him talk at these? <laughs> uh. Yeah. And so, and I was just going to say, the Baltimore Orioles, looks like they have about eight in the top 100 right now. Like about seven or eight. And so, you compare that to the Rockies with their four. And how they got those four, it's not necessarily like the Orioles who had been tanking and all this awful stuff. So just kind of lucking their way into four prospects in the top 100, still pretty good. But yeah, like Richard, my man, you, you got to find a better time or a different way to phrase things. <laughs> because uh, his sentiments like, yeah, it's not necessarily throwing all the money at things like the Padres have who have kind of depleted their farm system a little bit to acquire guys and setting themselves up to like try and pay Juan Soto. But you got to be able to spend money to make a good roster as well, and that's the route the Padres are taking, is spending money to make their roster as good as it can be. Uh, the Mets, the Phillies are doing that. And then you look at the Rockies, you can't really compare yourself to them because, oh, is that the thing where you tried to compare the the starting rotations or whatever? Oh my God. <laughs> oh, they, that they, one, they have three or four uh, good starting pitchers in the rotation, and so do we. And it's like, like, and then they're kind of like us. I'm like, what does that mean? It's like, I I love our rotation. I love Herman and Kyle Freeland and, and and our guys, but I I don't I don't know <laughs> what he was trying to say with that. Yo, listen, 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 listen. He said, he said. Yeah, they have Darvish, they have Snell, they have Musgrove. But after those three frontline guys, our rotations are the same. D- does he not realize that he's basically saying that 
R1 would be there for. Like, does he not realize that he's saying that? Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> I laughed so hard when I saw that. I was like, oh, my. Like, why is he talking, dog? Why is he talking? Yeah. Oh, Mr. Oh Monfort. Like, I, I think that's what we always talk about is, like, we're sure he's, like, a really nice guy. He probably means well. But with the way the Rockies have been run continually and this kind of stuff just gives it – turns us more into that laughing stock. And we talked about this in our Slack channel. No, Mario, you brought this up that we're kind of the new Lowell Mets type of thing. And like, I would love to be the Lowell Mets because they like, they try and they have these really good players and then they just kind of choke. And that's the, the Lowell Mets kind of joke. But the Rockies, it's just, what are they doing? And it's frustrating because we we've said it on the show before and we've all talked about this before there is no doubt that dick monfort loves his baseball team and mm-hmm. he considers himself a base he however misplaced considers himself a baseball guy but every time he opens his mouth for these kinds of conversations all he's doing is giving the national baseball media and the other fan bases and other fans ammunition to dunk on the Rockies and for Rockies fans to feel embarrassed about their organization. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what, that's what the frustrating part is. It's like, I understand that you got to make some comments, but maybe think about how you're going to respond to these questions and think about how what you're saying reflects not only poorly on the organization and on the fans, but on you. Like, it reflects extremely poorly on Dick Monfort as an owner when he says these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Especially yeah. doesn't help feel a fire no when he's calling out another team for spending money and saying, I don't 100% agree with that. Because then he's, that's kind of like part of the problem. no. What was the lockout about last year and who was in charge on the MLB end with that lockout? Really? No, it, it, that doesn't help. It's not helping the game when you're calling out another team saying, I don't agree with you spending money like that. Like keep that to yourself. You can disagree with that. That's fine. No, you can approach it differently, but go ahead, Mario. And no, because you know, like after that, he said another thing. He said, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with the way the parties are spending money. But I know our fans would like us to spend money like that. Yeah. So he's acknowledging. He's like, "Why are you talking, bro? Like, stop. Why are you acknowledging this? Just like that's basically like spinning. Like that's like spinning on. That's like spinning in our in our face, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I know you want us to spend more money, but we're not going to do that because I don't actually agree with that. Mm-hmm. It, it plays into the whole like you know the Rockies are cheap, which they're not like. For the most part, their payrolls are average or even above average for the most part. Like you, I, I wouldn't call them a cheap team. They just don't spend the money well. But when you put up, you know, when you put out a quote like that, it just gives more ammo. Just don't talk, man, or at least like write down something that puts a positive spin on it. Like say, okay, so we know that we're behind some of the powerhouses in our division, but we believe in our in our system. We believe in our development team. We feel like if we do things right we can be a good, solid team and set us up for the future of 2024 onwards to really contend and build a strong foundation. Basically, you bet you're, if you say that, you're basically, you know, 
acknowledging, yes, we're not going to be competing, but there is a larger plan here that's being built because that's, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, as a Rockies fan, one of the most frustrating things about it is that a lot of times you just feel like they don't have a plan. Like, why in the world is Randall Gritchick in 500 play appearances for a 64-win team? You know? Mm-hmm. Like, like, it just does not make any sense. Like, that's just not how you, you know, distribute resources, which is why, you know, we can talk, you know, we can talk about that, you know, when we talk about the offseason, but they need to clear up some plate appearances, man. But, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, like, I think with the breakfast champion stuff and these comments and quotes that come out of Dick Monfort, it's kind of like off the cusp type of stuff. Or like, I think if it was a regular like media press conference, which the Rockies really don't have anymore, he would have like the more of those prepared planned statements. But when I think it's off the cusp, you kind of get a, unfortunately, a better idea of like where he stands with you know, how he sees the game and operating things. And so that's tough because... No, it's kind of the same stuff. We'll hear the the canned statements from Bill Schmidt. It doesn't really, the organization doesn't like to, they hold their cards close to their chest. They don't like to reveal much. And they don't have these press conferences anymore. But it, it's just tough because we want, like you're saying, Mario, we want to see those plans. We want to kind of know where we're headed, where we stand as an organization. Now, if they would just come out and you know, tell us tomorrow, hey, you know, this is our plan. We're going to, we're planning on these prospects. We're going to let them play and see what we've got and reassess from there. I think we'd all be pretty happy with that. I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. No, because it worked out for the Mariners and everything. So uh, what do you think, Evan? Last thoughts here. Well, I mean, it's funny because even in like a pre-prepared press conference, he usually will say something that is just complete off script. foot in mouth. Like the the one of the last press conferences this team ever really did was the one following the Nolan Arenado trade (laughs) where he said a lot of things that came across as very odd and very foolish. Like the whole, Oh, I think about firing myself or the, you know, I, I lost so much sleep over this and I don't know why he would want to (laughs) leave. And just putting, putting in, putting his foot in his mouth, even in that, in that press conference setting. So even if, and that's the reason why the Rockies don't really do any press conferences anymore. They're terrible at it. So this is a guy who needs a PR guy with him when he does these public appearances, just, you know, Mm -hmm. whisper in his ear. It's like, you say something like you should say something like this Uh, because he's just not, he's not doing himself any favors. And by extension, he's not doing the organization or the fans any favors. Just hire a really good impersonator that can just be the public face of Dick Monfort. So get an actor or something very charismatic and, and just you know, make him look like Dick Monfort. <laughs> Boom. Just get a doppelganger, throw him out there. Some prosthetics or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the life body decoy of Dick Monfort. Yeah, yeah. that could work. Yeah. Uh, but it's been weird stuff, but such as life of a Rockies fan. But kind of going along with this, we take those comments that he's talking about and those things we're talking about with having a plan. It feels like a little bit this offseason, we have seen some of that plan coming into effect or coming to the surface where they kept saying we don't want to block our guys. That's kind of been the thing. We want to 
open up space for our prospects that are coming up. We want to have them an avenue to play. Um, and so they at least have mentioned that some things they've done haven't really been a testament to that. And other things it seems to have been the case this offseason is pitching, bolstering the pitching depth any way they can. There were a lot of minor league signings uh, through trading for it and you know, a couple of acquisitions off of waivers and, and everything else. And so I'll run it down here real quick. No, of free agent signings, there's just been two. Jose Urania re-ups with the team, and they bring in Denver native Pierce Johnson for the bullpen. They also claimed uh, Brent Suter off of waivers from the Brewers. And so those are kind of your three major league pitching acquisitions. Uh, Pitching-wise, there's been a ton of other minor league signings. They trade away Sam Hilliard, uh, Connor Joe, Chad Smith. They bring in some pitching that way pull guys off waivers, bring in Fernando Abad from old man land to try to be Alex Colomay age or Daniel Bard again. <laughs> and then position wise, I guess the big one was bringing in Nolan Jones uh, from Cleveland trading Juan Brito over there. So uh, there's been a lot of moves, but it's kind of open it up. What's stuck out to you this off season? Uh, maybe a move that sticks out to you the most or just a vibe you've gotten from the Rockies offseason thus far? For me, what it is, is it really is that pitching depth. Uh, the Rockies have either brought in or brought back a total of 16 pitchers across the major and minor league levels over this offseason so far. And, you know, they've made trades to try and cement both major and minor league pitching depth. The big ones that stand out to me are the um, the Connor Joe and Sam Hilliard trades where they made the tough decision to part with these guys that are really well liked in order to acquire solid minor league pitching depth, which is something that we've needed. So at, at the very least, the Rockies are addressing team needs. They're addressing areas of concern, especially when it comes to pitching depth. Um is there more that they could have done? Absolutely. But as I put it, it's like quietly the Rockies have been very, very busy this off season. Mm-hmm. But you, Mario, yeah. cause you've been following the, the pitching a lot. Oh uh, yeah. You know, not basically, you know, focused strictly on pitching. Right. But I'd say, you know, sticking on brand, the move that really stuck out to me uh, was claiming Nick, uh, Nick Mears of waivers. Um, and the reason that stuck out to me a lot is because we know the Rockies, you know, they've been trying to figure out you know, how do you pitch at altitude, you know, how do you pitch to Coors Field, and you know, for years they've done a better job at it sometimes, a worse job at it sometimes. Uh, we know, we all know they love their sinker ballers. I mean, if you look at the pitching staff right now, it's filled with sinkers. It's just crazy. So, one of the reasons uh, the Nick Mears uh, claims, you know, stuck out to me so much is because. Nick Mears is the exact opposite of that profile. You know, like we've been talking also a lot about over the years, you know, they need to strike out more guys because at the end of the day, what Coors Field truly boosts is a ball in play. So why are you, you know, putting a staff together with soft tossers who are going to allow a lot of contact? Well, you know, yes, you might get a lot of ground balls, but you're also giving up a lot of line drives and mm-hmm. you're basically just going to get, you know, torn straight. So they need to miss more bats. Now, of course, there's a dynamic with that because the, Pitching style that leads to more bad missing tends to be more up down, you know, north south type of you know type attack, power you know power pitching, power forcing, power breaking ball, and that just so happens to be a style of pitching that also tends to lead to more fly balls, 
which are not great for altitude. So you know, there's, a, you know, and obviously course field reduces pitch movement, you know, lessens your ability to miss bats just in a vacuum. But uh, the Nick Mears uh, claims, you know, stuck with me a lot, mainly because he just is the complete opposite of the profile they typically favor. Um, Nick Mears is an entirely vertically oriented pitcher. He has an excellent power four seam, gets down the mound very well, spins it. Uh, he gets kind of that cut carry action on it. And basically this is a fastball that has to be thrown at the top of the zone to have success. And it profiles as a very good fastball. You know, he has, you know, he can really spin a breaking ball. You know, I, I wrote about how he can make some adjustments to it. But, you know, just the fact that they made a move like that, uh, that kind of tells me that there's probably behind the scenes, there's some some level of change in philosophy. At least I want to see that there's some level of change in philosophy where they say, okay, you know, ground balls are great, but we need to start missing some bats here. And if we allow a few more, you know, a few home runs, that's okay because we're going to strike out enough guys and we're going to keep the walks down enough to where they're not going to hurt us. Because, you know, obviously, contrary to popular belief, what kills you at Coors Field is not the home run. It's the double that turns into a triple, the single that turns into a double, you know, it's so if you can miss as many bats as possible, that's better. And, you know, picking up Nick Mears, I thought was a move that could signify potentially something. I really hope he sticks on the roster and they, and they give him a shot because I think he can be a, a backhand tie with a couple of adjustments. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. So you wrote a really great article on uh, Nick Mears as well. Uh, article was titled uh, on Nick Mears and the value of potential, which went up on January 10th. But, I, I really agree with you where you're coming from, where a couple of the guys that they've brought in are guys that don't really fit the mold of your stereotypical Rockies pitcher. Um, so the uh, the pitcher that they traded um, Connor Joe for, uh, Nick Garcia, who will be likely starting the season with double-A Hartford, he's got a big power slider and that he uses for missing bats and generating strikeouts. Connor Siebold's got that, that change up. These are, Correct. these are guys who have specific pitches that are meant for missing bats for generating whiffs. And that's something we've also heard um, about um, pitching coach, Daryl Scott is that he's really been trying to push the organization into more strikeout style pitching because for so long we've had that very specific Coors Field cookie cutter mold of sinkers and the like to try and generate ground ball contact. And yes. no pitching staff, no matter where you play, is going to thrive when everybody's the same. And so that's something that I I do gen genuinely think they've done a really good job at this year of no huge flashy signings, yes, but they've done a good job in getting a variety of different pitchers with different skill sets that don't necessarily fit into that mold. Mm -hmm. And that, that's something we've talked about a lot, you know, in our in our personal Slack channels and stuff of div diversifying just the pitching staff. It's like you're saying, when it's a cookie cutter mold. How hard is it for an opposing team to adjust pitcher to pitcher? It's not very difficult. No, oh God, thank you. If every guy's throwing a sinker. Same speed, roughly same contact area. You know, it's just copy and paste. Oh, well, so-and-so does this. Well, so does this guy. I don't have to adjust that much. But when it's coming in, you make pitchers start making hitters uncomfortable. When it's uncomfortable knowing, oh, here's this guy coming in now. What's he got? Instead of, oh, he's probably got this sinker, this slider, looking for those pitches. And so I think that diversity 
I think it's really helping them. And you can substitute some of these or place some of these guys different levels. You know, some are going to be you know, around the double A area. Some are ready triple A and some are ready to, to hit the big time hit the big leagues. Yeah. It's nice to see that different cast. And something that stuck out to me is with a lot of those veteran minor league signings, they've just gathered guys of varying experiences at the big league level. Now you've got Fernando about minor league deal, non-roster invitee. He's been around for a while, but then there's other guys that, Oh, he's, he's had a couple of years in the league. Hasn't had much success. Let's plug him in triple a and just building their big league depth of if somebody goes down, somebody's really struggling, they have guys with at least some big league experience they can plug in instead of having to try and rush, you know, some of their younger pitchers up like they did with Ryan Feltner jumping up straight from double A. Now they didn't have much guys in triple A to call up. So kind of placing some guys like that, I think will be really helpful building that depth. At least they may not be great, but at least there's some depth there. Yeah. And, and seven of the 11 minor league pitchers that the Rockies have acquired have big league experience. So you've got familiar faces in Ty Block, who I'm happy to have back, and uh, Matt Karasidi, who was with the organization a couple years ago. And then you've got uh, right-handers TJ Zoich, uh, Phillips Valdez, Matt Koch, and then uh, you've also got lefties Fernando Abed and uh, Josh Rogers. All of these guys have some variety of major league experience for variance of success. They've all got fairly different pitching profiles, too. Mm -hmm. It's a good variety to bring in of guys on you know low risk high reward minor league deals i always like to say there's no such thing as a bad minor league contract and this is something the rockies have legitimately done a good job on this off season Mm -hmm. and and i think the thing that we can kind of transition to now is a lot of the moves they've made no they're good no just kind of filling depth types of moves and unfortunately, they're kind of the moves you'd expect a team that's already really solid at the big league level, has everything figured out really, and they're just building a supporting cast by trimming the fat. No, but there's still moves that needed to be made, and it just fortunately haven't worked out. Like we mentioned, maybe moving a Randall Gritchick, moving a CJ Crone, because they want to have younger guys play, but there's still positions blocked because of the veterans. And so it's kind of this weird thing where it's good moves but then on the back you know the back burner of the bigger picture it just doesn't fit with what you would hope would happen with the big league team it's kind of this weird mix yeah. uh, if that makes sense it's like a yeah it's like, like going a, halfway yeah mm-hmm. it's it's halfway between a somewhat of a stealth rebuild and somewhat of a team supplementation and Mm -hmm. i i do want to address uh, cj crone really quick um because i i do agree that you know cj crone probably needed to have been dealt but what we're unfortunately dealing with is last season when cj crone was an all-star it was another one of those damned if you do damned if you don't situations where you trade him at the deadline And the fans are upset because, of course, the Rockies traded away one of their best players. But if you didn't trade him, which is where we're at now, we're kind of stuck where we have the hindsight of we should have traded him because CJ Crone's value was never going to get any higher than it was at the All-Star break last year. Mm -hmm. And he unfortunately did not have a great 
second half where he struggled and this season we probably wouldn't have been able to get a lot of value in a trade for him so we're kind of stuck right now with that and and it is frustrating to see and i love cj crone i really do but he's one of those guys that are are blocking where who should be starting every day at first base probably michael tolia but cj crone is still here so it's probably going to be him who should be starting every day in right field honestly if you ask me it's sean bouchard but randall gritchick is still here yeah, yeah so it, it's kind of packed up. <laughs> and then you add in Nolan Jones, who's there as well, who I like the acquisition of Nolan Jones. But then that question remains of, well, he's played mostly right field in the little bit he played with the Cleveland Guardians last year, but he can play both corner positions. Those are kind of locked up. The outfield's a little bit jammed still while they're waiting for Zach Veen to show up. So, yeah. <laughs> Constant story of uh, giving themselves a blocking problem. Yeah, as who, usual. who they trade for a corner outfield, corner infield guy. Oh, and both corner outfield and corner infield spots are so backed up. Not only with <laughs> big league players, but with prospects as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Nolan Jones thing. I, I think honestly, they should just move into right field full time. I mean, I know he was moved to the outfield because he was blocked by Jose Ramirez uh, at third base in Cleveland. Obviously, he was never going to play there. Um, but I really think, like, he can really thrive at right field. Like, dude has an absolute cannon for an arm. Mm-hmm. Like, you can go watch him throw. He has an absolute rocket launcher. Like, it's elite arm strength. And he's a pretty good athlete. He's a big, strong dude. He can move well. He can throw well. I think, you know, as, as he gains more and more experience, I think he can do a fine job in right field. And, you know, the acquisition of, you know, Nolan Jones kind of, it was also a little bit surprising to me because, you know, we know the Rockets like aggressive hitters. You know, if you go through their farm system, you won't find many guys who draw a lot of walks, take a lot of pitches, et cetera. Nolan Jones has had posted a lead walk race throughout his entire minor league career. And he has legitimate raw power. He has, he's a lefty, which is a good thing. And just in general, he's the kind of, you know, a, he has a kind of approach to the plate that no one except, I would say, Sean Bouchard and Chris Bryant have mm-hmm. on, in, the, in the major league roster right now. So I think he should get out. I'm just, you know, going to say it straight. I think he should get total preference. You know, when you look at the group of guys, you know, of Michael Toglia, Elodis Montero, you know, let's not forget about him because I like him more than Toglia if I'm just evaluating them. Um, Nolan Jones, uh, Sean Bouchard, I think Jones should get preference. I think he has the best athletic talent. He has the best prospect pedigree. He has the most versatility, really. He can play third, or play first. He can play both corners. Uh, and he's a lefty. So I think he should get, oh, uh, yeah, priority. I mean, you know, just really, it's basically what you guys said. Like, they've done all these things, you know, on the, on the pitching side. They clear spots. They're adding depth. But then on the position player side, it's like, you know, mm-hmm. you're kind of waiting for the other shooter to drop. It's like, okay, so, you know, are you, you're doing this, or you're going to, you know, you're going to trade CJ Crone, right? You're going to trade Randall Grisham, right? You're going to tell Chuck, listen, man, like, we love you. You're, you know, you're a legend, but we can't have you taking 600 play appearances this season because we need to evaluate guys. I think the problem here is going to be that they have such a high regard for Crone and Grisham because of who they have been 
that they're not going to accept the fact that they're you're not going to get a whole lot from them. Mm-hmm. And there seems they're not going to accept it. It makes it very unlikely that they can move since they're not probably not going to get moved. It means guys are not going to get you know opportunities. And you just keep on riding the hamster wheel. At some point, something's got to happen. Something's yeah. got to happen. This whole offseason has been like, okay, that's good, but are you going to clear the you know the plate appearances? And that's kind of where I'm at at this point. Yeah, and I agree with that definitely. Where it seemed like the the most operandum was let's address pitching. Okay, what about hitting? Eh, we're fine. No, <laughs> and, and it's understandable. No other teams. It takes two to tango. Other teams may not be really that interested in Connor or in a. They were interested in Connor Joe, in CJ Crone or Randall Gritchick. and so that's understandable. If no teams, but no, it, it gets them in that precarious spot. But Last thing I want to touch on here, right before we run out of time, also announce one of our last episodes, we talked about Dave Magadan you know, leaving the hitting coach job. Well, the Rockies replaced him not too long after with Hensley Bam Bam Mullins and, uh, as the hitting coach, and Warren Schaefer was called up as the third base coach to replace Ducole at third base. Who knows what will change with, with uh, a new hitting coach, but hopefully the name of the game is at least like we're talking about at least hit the ball in the air. We can't be back-to-back-to-back ground ball champs uh, as an organization. So that's the one thing I'll be looking towards is, you know, what does Bam Bam bring to the table to help the team maybe get some more pop, increase walks, make more contact, and stop hitting the ball into the dang ground. <laughs> yeah, and pull the ball, please. please. Yeah, especially with no please shift. someone tell Brendan Rodgers, for the love of God, pull a fly ball. I know he's trying, but like, guy, there's just so much potential for that guy in particular. If he can just pull a fly ball, it's like yeah. you know, we watched how good he was last year. It's like, man, imagine how good he could have been if he could pull the ball and he wasn't consistently hitting it right into the dirt. Yeah. Oh, that that's you can say that for a ton of the guys, and hopefully without the shift, maybe we'll get a little bit more pull pull power from guys, which I would love to see that. Definitely. Um, also, the Rockies are winners. We signed Vanessa Hudgens to a minor league deal via Paul Tucker. So high school musical Someone coming. He's actually going to make the team, by the way. I didn't want to cut you off, but I don't see he's it. He's going to make the team. Oh, well, it's, oh I mean, he, he can play every single position. You know how what he loves guys who can play all, everywhere. But think it's, about, we have Harold Castro and Alan Trejo for that now as well. Yeah, oh, yeah that's true. So that's the utility infielder bench spot is going to be the one to watch this spring. Uh, since Garrett Hampson is no longer with the team, we did non-tender him. He's over in Miami now. Spots open for the a new hamster on the wheel, so to speak. We're looking for a new pet rodent. Oh, I'm going to miss him. So, but I, I think what we're I think we're all kind of in agreement. Good off season. There's still a little bit more they could have done. Now there's still time for them. No, I doubt they will do much of anything, but who knows? Maybe we'll get a surprise Rymel Tapia for Randall Gritchick type trade. Yeah, think about how late in the offseason and into spring training that one happened. Like, yeah. we've got time to see if anything else happens. So all we can really do is wait and see. But overall, could have been worse. <laughs> but still, fun stuff. And it, it's good to see them trying to do some stuff to address some needs. Yeah. But... 
I think that's going to do it here for this new edition of Affected by Altitude. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in. And Mario, again, we can't express how happy we are to have you on here with us. I'll have that conversation with you really for the first time. A natural. But oh, uh, Mario, where can the people find you on the social medias and, and whatnot? Uh, you can find me uh, and on Twitter. I'm on there the whole time. Uh, at the uh, gen, that's basically at D E G E N C G C. I know there's no, you can type that in there. You probably find me you know, <laughs> some purple road stuff, uh, making fun of people. I tweet basically only about baseball music and you know, making jokes with people. So, yeah, good stuff. And you can always find him, he'll throw up stuff on purple road too. Uh, a lot of those, you know, pitching articles really go in depth on stats, really helpful, and he's good with that stuff. Uh, Evan, where can the folks find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Evan underscore Lang27. Um, as always, I love to hear from you all. That's where most of my scorching hot takes go. Um, you can also find all of my work on Purple Row, doing the Thursday Rock Pile. And uh, you can also hit us up on the official Alti- uh, Affected by Altitude Twitter account, which is at Altitude Effect. And Skyler, where can we find you? You can find me on the Twitters at sideline underscore crowd and also do my Wednesday rock piles over on purple row and good stuff, but that's going to do it here again. Thank you guys so much for joining us. A lot of fun. Happy to be back in the saddle again and we'll keep churning these out again. Always follow us, follow the folks over at purple row, help us with the support on articles and everything. Every view goes a long way, but until next time, we'll see ya. Here on Affected by Altitude. Skyler, hit him with it. Farewell. See you, everybody. Hasta luego.